Welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. We are back after a one-week break due to some scheduling conflicts. Today, we have on Brendan March from The Athletic. He covers Duke and North Carolina basketball for him. We also have on head football coach from the Washington State Cougars, Coach Nick Rolovich. With Coach Rolovich, we talk about his time at Miami and coming up in coaching. We also get into his time in the NFL Europe League, the Arena Football League, and some of his coaching philosophies. Obviously, we talk about this past year for the Washington State Cougars and more. With Brendan, we just get into everything Duke and Carolina basketball. And we did record this before Duke's horrific loss to Miami. So in this interview, I may have said I think Duke's chances to make the tournament were a lot higher than what ESPN projects at 21.9%. So before you listen to that, I was completely wrong. Also, they did announce that the ACC tournament is on in Greensboro. So we did not know that before the interview. That was announced like five minutes after. So hope you all enjoy. But before we get into our interview with Coach Rolovich, we are brought to you by Pot Talk. I've been saying this for about 10 episodes now, and if you haven't done it, what in the world are you doing? Go download Pod Talk today. It is clearly the best way to listen to podcasts. It has the best interface. It also has awesome group discussions for your favorite podcasts like this one. Go join the CarterCast group discussion on Pod Talk right now. Go check out Pod Talk in the App Store today. Now, our interview with Coach Nick Rolovich. All right, we now welcome on Nick Rolovich. He's the head football coach at Washington State. Coach, how are we doing? Good, Carter. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So, obviously, I'm one years, I was one years old at the time. I'm only 20 right now. In 2001, you were the starting quarterback against my BYU Cougars. Mm. How important was that game for you, throwing eight touchdowns and winning 72-45? to 45? Uh, I didn't know you were a Coug, uh, one of those <laughs> Cougs. Um, it was, it was a beautiful, um, ending to a, to a season that, that, that was full of a team of great qualities that I think a lot of people yearn for as far as the brotherhood, the unselfishness, the, 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 the genuine, you know, arrow point of winning football games and, um, you know, I know there's a lot of big stats in that game, but it was more the culmination of, of our journey together as, as seniors. Uh, I'm not sure uh, it could have been any better for us going out that way. So, obviously, I didn't get to see you as a player. I was too young. What kind of player were you like, and who did you look up to? Um, a below-average athlete. <laughs> um I could throw the ball. I really, I really enjoyed the <laughs> mental aspect of the game, and 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 you know, I don't know if it was inspirational or not, but I I tried to really stay in the moment with with the team and and just make the play I could on that 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 instant and that play, and um, I'd like to have a lot of fun. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. So when you're at Hawaii, you're playing and coaching there. How big of an advantage are games at home and disadvantage away games? Um, I think there's a real, <clears throat> there's almost a built-in um, fear, or not fear, but um, question mark for a lot of people who, especially if they've never been to Hawaii, it's kind of this um, far off fantasy land paradise. And so I think there's a, a distraction element um, mm-hmm. 
you know, we try to grease up the line, uh, the lifeguards and make sure that guys go in the water, make sure they forget sunscreen, make sure we, we, we know if anybody gets a reef cut, um, rent mopeds. Uh, a lot of people used it as a, as a semi bowl trip. So they tried to enjoy themselves. And um, I think that just works in, in, in Hawaii's advantage as the home team. So after you're done at Hawaii, you, you have a brief stint with the Broncos, correct? Yeah, pretty brief. <laughs> so then you play in NFL Europe League and arena football. What was that like? Loved them both. Mm-hmm. Um, both very different. Um, Europe was great because as a football player, as an athlete, you, you hear these stories of people going abroad and spending the summer backpacking Europe. And, you know, you never could do that. I guess you could give up your, your sport and do that. But um, it, it had an element of, of exploration um, almost being somewhat of an ambassador of the game in Europe, uh, specifically Germany for my case. Um, a lot of, lot of fans enjoyed the game in Europe, especially Germany. I think the, the military bases, um, military presence we had at, at that time over there. Um, I think the game of American football is, is known in, in Germany pretty well. I think there's a pretty good understanding and, um, we had, a, we had a good fan base, um, you know, then you had a team in Spain, so we got to go to Spain. You got to go to Scotland. I mean, it was it was a great experience, wonderful experience, good teammates. Uh, Arena League, I thought, was one of the more unique experiences. It's a wonderful game to watch in person. It's very kid-friendly. It's very family-friendly. It's very intimate. And what I mean intimate, not only in the arena, right, but uh, your team is, is much smaller. You're looking at a team of 25, so you have the closeness that you see – um, in, in like a basketball roster. And, um, so I I noticed that there was the, the culture was very important. If one person was not in line with the culture, um, it would have a greater effect on, on the team than if, you know, a team with 120 guys. So when you're playing in the arena football league, you coached at the same time, right? Yeah. That was one of the benefits I tried to take advantage of was, um, you know, we were spring league, so, and, and you know, there was high school football in the fall, there was JC football in the fall, that's where I kind of, I was around a really good coach in arena league named uh, Terry Malley, who I thought really did things the right way and was very smart and passionate, and, um, you know, he kind of, you know, I, I wanted, you know, June Jones was great, you know, Dan Hayes was great, George Rush, I mean, all these people I got to play for were great, but at that point in time when, you see the door closing on your playing career and you're around a, a person who um, you really admire as a coach and, and see the effect he has on people kind of, kind of nudged me to, to get into it. And, you know, I knew I was gonna, wasn't going to be able to leave the game. So it was a good time. Um, you know, the year spending the year playing half of it, playing half of it coaching. So for people that want to get into like the coaching ranks and stuff, what do people not understand about moving up and coaching? Getting in or moving up? Moving up. Moving up, you better bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and don't don't try to get the next job. I had, a, I had a good friend tell me, you know, coaching at Hawaii, and you see, you know, guys getting other jobs. And early on, he said, listen, don't worry about trying to climb the ladder. They'll pull you up when you're ready. And mm-hmm. that was um, that was pretty uh, – 
been pretty meaningful for me and, and it kind of centered me a little bit. But but for, for young people trying to get in the game, there's many areas, there's many more areas than there were 20 years ago, whether it's operations, recruiting, um, staffs are bigger, so there's more opportunities. Um, make sure that you, um, you, you want to really take that staff you're on and make them, you know, you want to have a, a positive view in all their minds because this is a small community coaching even though it's it's such a big game and but it's really you get to know everybody pretty well and, and you better be a good person or else um you know you're not going to get the and it's not that you'll get a bad recommendation it's like hey jimmy tell me about this guy uh you know you, you get those and you'll be like okay i get it you know <laughs> or you'll get the ones where hey if I was a head coach, I'd hire him in a second. So then you're like, okay, let's look into this, see if he's a good fit for us. But you got to do it your own way. Um, you got to be a good follower before you are a good leader and pay attention to everything. You know, there were, I got a chance to coach for Chris Alt, which was, which was wonderful. But I knew there were things that the ways he did things that probably wouldn't work for if I tried to do it his way, it would become, it wouldn't be genuine. So you have to, you have to be your own person and do it your own way. Are you an analytics guy? Do you follow that like religiously or do you have a different way? I love analytics. Mm -hmm. I love it. So, okay. What do, you when I, that? what do you want to know about analytics? Well, no, cause I want to, it leads into this. So when like an average schmuck like myself is screaming at the TV, this coach is an idiot. You know, why is he doing this? Why isn't he going for it? Whatever. Like for me, who doesn't understand blocking schemes and X's and O's, what do people not understand about going into those decisions? Like, is it just more trust in your guys or is it just, Hey, I have this sheet of paper where it says this percentage to do this, this percentage to do that. Yeah. But, it, but it's not like it's a blanket mm -hmm. guideline for every game. Every game is different. All those stats get taken in time of possession points per possession. Um, you know, how good the kicker is. I mean, all these things get factored in. Um, and ultimately it, it ends up being just a, a guidance type deal. And you have to also, you know, as, as a decision maker, you have to see, okay, is, is the flow of the game kind of how they anticipated it might be? Um, where's the momentum? Um, what does your team need have? I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those um, spontaneous decisions, it's still in it, but at least this gives you, it allows you to think about situations uh, before they happen in, in study before the game. So I'm a big fan of it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of being aggressive. I think it, it sends a good mindset to your players. Um, I love, I love punters. I, I just don't love to use them very much, <laughs> um, but um, no, I think it's been a good addition to the game. And I look forward to the day when, you know, we're up by, uh, I want to say it's, I want to say it's nine points and we take a knee on an extra point because the only way they could win is if they block it and return it for two and then get an onside kick and score. So uh, those type of situations, it's just fun to go through. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's a really, you know, cerebral part of, of, of the, the, the nuances of the game. Do you have a guy on the sideline that does just clock management or is it yourself? Uh, it's myself, but our analytics guy is up in the booth. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know some guys have them walking around with them, but I figure, 
you know, he's got a seat, he's got his, his binder, you know, he's gone through it. We've talked about it a little bit, um, but it's good to know. It's good to know on first down, if it's fourth and two, you're going to go for it. It helps your third down calls. So what was it like taking over for Mike Leach? Um, I, I'm a big fan of Mike Leach. Um, I think he's entertaining. Um, you know, we were in pretty heavy contact before, you know, I think the even opportunity for him to leave. So I felt like I knew a little bit about Washington State. Um, I, I think part of the, you know, the personnel similarities um, made it an easier transition. Um, I still talked and we were texting last night, but um, it, it was, you know, I don't know if there's anything really specific. It, it was good that we had a friendship in the transition, you know, and um, it's a small town. So he knows everybody here that I get to meet. And um, again, he, he's a prime example of somebody doing it their own way. So you take the job right when COVID hits. How difficult was it recruiting and setting up your staff all over Zoom, basically? Well, we got the staff set up before we, we had the shutdown. Okay. Um, you know, we, we I think we were a week out of spring ball when it kind of shut down. So, um, but, but since then, the recruiting, I think, has challenged people to get creative. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of positives in the information presentation to recruits and their families that um, all universities or college programs have had to uh, adjust to, but also see some advantages of. Um, the evaluation process, there's still that question mark, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that guy six, one, is that guy six, three is, you know, I mean, those things, you know, and so you try to get, make sure you get verification on, on size, if that's a major factor in the, in the decision, but um, you know, it, it, you just lose the opportunity to see them in person, how they interact in the uh, more common, not highlight film plays, but how do they act on the sideline? How do they act in the school, you know, those types of things. Are they going to be a good fit? Because I'm a big believer. It's got to be a good fit both ways. Mm -hmm. So you guys played only four games this year. I got to ask, did it feel it, Did it feel real? Was it hard for you guys to take it serious? It wasn't hard for to take it serious. It was hard, the emotional roller coaster they had to go through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the year before we played 15 games at Hawaii and that, this season seemed longer and we played 11 less games. I think it was the uncertainties, you know, um, we had, I think, three games canceled. You know, one we were on, we were warming up, and it, and it gets canceled. So they're, those types of things are, are just – they're just horrible to see the, the, the pain on, on, on these guys' face, our, our players, you know. I never thought I'd have to pull a team off the field saying, hey, we're not going to play. I don't think I ever thought I'd wake up one morning on a day of a game and think about, are we going to play a football game, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so – and, and – so many, you know, different personalities and, uh, you know, histories of, of it's just, that's where the strain was, was making sure, you know, our guys were okay and talking them through it and dealing with disappointment and, you know, getting, you know, not being able to play a game because positive test. I mean, all those things, it was, it was, it was nonstop. What are you and your coaching staff looking to improve most next season? Uh, the wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the best answer I could have gotten. <laughs> All right. So anybody who watched y'all, y'all have an explosive offense. 
What are your expectations? Sometimes. 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 Okay. Yeah. We, we, we showed some real flashes. We showed a real lack of consistency. Mm-hmm. I, I don't put that all on the players. And to be honest, I don't put that all on the coaches. I think for our offense to go, it needs reps. It needs learning. It needs mistakes being made. And, and you saw a little indecision as we went through the cutups um, of this season. Uh, I, I feel it, it was you know, it wasn't fun to go through this season, but um, I think there's enough positives and enough stuff for us to build on. And it really solidified the mindset that we need reps. We need to throw and catch. We need to see all situations. Um, and, and I think it gives us a really strong entry point into this uh, spring ball. What are your expectations going into next season? Win more games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, um, I, I try not to think about next season right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to um, put it to a day-by-day process more in my head. Um, don't know what the schedule is. There's still a lot of transfer portal informa- or, uh, things that could happen. Um, right now, just really concentrating on our team and, and our day, our day in the weight room and um, you know, but obviously you want to win more football games and, and hopefully see some fans in the stadium and, and, and more of a normal type game day experience. Um, that's, but having, obviously you want to win them all, but mm-hmm. right now we're, we're taking the approach that let's, let's go win this day and let's, let's, let's win January before we talk about February. Let's, let's do those type of things. Okay, so I won't take much more of your time. Before you go, give us a Super Bowl pick. (laughs) We've already had this discussion with the team on the group chat. You know, know, you've got a guy who's proven, in my opinion, with 10 Super Bowl appearances to to be the greatest quarterback of all time. And you got a guy, in my mind, who could be the most talented quarterback we've ever seen, Um, which – I know that's a big position. I, I I really like Patrick Mahomes' game. I like the Chiefs' style, um, but I'm also incredibly impressed with what Tom Brady and the Bucks have been able to do. You know, you talk about. Um, for me, I'm a Bay Area guy. I'm going to have to go with Brady until, uh, even though I'm not sure about it right now. But I think that it's hard to bet against Brady. But you got to go with the Chiefs. I just said Brady. And I know, but how do the Chiefs you, lose? You go with the Chiefs. <laughs> how do the Chiefs lose? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I know. I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. Their defense is sneaky good, but all right. I won't take much more of your time. Thank you so much for coming on, Coach. All the best to you all next season, and uh, thanks that. again. Have a great day. You too. All right, we now welcome on Brendan Marks. He covers UNC and Duke for The Athletic. Brendan, how are we doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start this off. Give us your backstory. Like, where are you from? How'd you end up at The Athletic? Yeah, so uh, I started out as a, you know, I feel like most sports journalists, I love sports playing up. Um, and then when I realized as a, a five foot nine unathletic <laughs> uh, dude that I was probably not going to go very far with that. So sort of pivoted into to writing and realizing that you could still make a living in the sports industry and 
Um, I attended North Carolina for the journalism school. I know a lot of my Duke followers like to give me some hate for that, but uh, ended up going to UNC for journalism, covering the basketball and football teams there and um, was able to parlay that into some cool opportunities with the Boston Globe. And uh, right out of school, I got a job with Sports Illustrated and um, then was able to find something a little closer to home. I went and worked for the Charlotte Observer for a couple of years, covered the Carolina Panthers. And uh, from there, just, just kept trying to get my way back to the triangle. I'm very, very glad and fortunate to be able to cover uh, such, you know, incredible programs, great coaches, and to be so close to my family. So since you cover UNC, so you're, you're a Tar Heel fan, right? Even though you cover Duke? I am not. Uh, unfortunately, the one thing they don't tell you about this job is that once you're in it, you sort of lose your fandom. Um, mm-hmm. So, so when I was in school, obviously, yeah, you know, I, I would go to um, games and cheer them on as I could, but uh, in the years since then, I, the only sports fandom that I actually maintain, unfortunately, is for the New York Jets. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough life, but, um, you know, I just root for the rest, the best story at this point. You, you, this is a safe place. You, if you're a Carolina fan, you can say it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, ge- I'm genuinely not. Like, you know, I get this question a lot, like last year especially. Oh, yeah, I've seen on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, like l- last year when UNC and Duke were playing um, – I got so many comments and everyone's like, you know, are you rooting for UNC? Are you rooting for Duke? And genuinely, you know, the way that Duke won last year's game, like the Trey Jones buzzer beater, the mm-hmm. Wendell Moore buzzer beater, those are great for me because that's a yeah. great moment that everyone wants to read about. It's a great story I get to tell. And it's so obvious that it means I get to go home faster too. So <laughs> whatever, whatever gives me the best story or lets me get back to my house the quickest is what I'm a fan of. Um, for, fortunately, usually winning helps the cause though. Yeah, we see guys like Jay Billis. I mean, let's be honest. He's kind of a Carolina guy now. <laughs> he, uh, I, I am actually pretty surprised that the level of vitriol that I feel like he gets from Duke fans. I feel like they, I mean, don't, so they don't love blatant. him. It's so blatant in these games where he just, like, tries to be a little over, overly non-biased, it feels like. Yeah, he, um, I, you know, I really, I like Jay. I respect Jay. I knew him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to know him when I was in Charlotte. Um, yeah, I mean, I that's the thing, like in college, here's everyone has come from somewhere. So if you don't hold a special affinity, like I know Jay still loves the guys at Duke. He still has mm-hmm. a special connection to the program and K um, and his even more so because he even worked there. He didn't just go there. Yeah. So, so, you know, I understand it, but yeah, everyone obviously has a, a soft spot to some extent for, for the places they go. Like I have a great re- relationship with the people at UNC, but um, you know, I'd like to think that hopefully I do with the people at Duke too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's just get UNC out of the way. It feels like they're starting to hit their stride. So why is that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think you know, UNC goes six and one in the month of January and a big part of the reason why it's, it's really not that complicated. It's just better shot selection and guys are getting, guys are getting the shots that they deserve. So what I mean by that is um, Caleb Love, whose shooting percentages over the first two months of the season were, were God awful ghastly. Um, he finally is, is taking fewer shots. He was taking at one point almost a third of UNC's shots when he was on the floor, which is far, far too many, e- even if he was hitting at a higher clip. So now he's dropping back down, and you're seeing the, the shares of shots rise for Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, Dayron Sharp, um, the guys who are more efficient. And so as a result, the offense looks better. The ball movement is better. Um, you know, I mentioned Caleb Love and some of the inefficiencies he had at the start of the year. He's finally not turning the ball over every single time. Uh, <laughs> which is a big help. And so um, I think better shot selection and, and just these young players, which is the case we're seeing in all of college basketball, mm-hmm. young players getting more time together, gelling, and the product ends up being better as a result. So 
it feels like Kerwin Walton's UNC's most important player lately. I mean, he's literally Kenny Williams 2.0. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> it's such an interesting situation because this is a dude who signs with UNC like literally in late April. Like he's yeah. one, of the, one of the last commits to sign. And when I talked to his high school coach at the time, I was like, you know, what? No offense, but like, why? Kerwin's not a top 100 recruit. You know, why, why did the coaching staff reach out to him and feel so strongly about him? And they, you know, his high school coach said to me, UNC needed a shooter and that's what they got. So, I mean, he, he, the way he has stretched the floor for the bigs inside. I mean, I I think a lot of teams are still packing the paint against UNC because he's the only dependable shooter, but just having him out there, the gravity that he pulls as, as a non, as a sub hundred freshman is truly astonishing. So yeah, he, he's definitely been a big part of how everything has worked too. Which UNC players do you think leave for the draft? It's actually a great question. I I talked to a couple of NBA teams uh, last week, three separate teams, and two of them told me that they have Dayron Sharp firmly as a lottery pick. And the third one said that they have him um, sort of slotted in now, just generally in the first round. We're we're waiting to see a little bit more as the season went on. So I think the opportunity is going to be there for him. Um, Mm -hmm. If he goes or not, I think it's going to be much more of a personal decision than people would think it would be. He grew up a UNC fan. Like this is his dream school. Like he, he loves it enough. And I think one discounted fact is like, he hasn't had the UNC basketball experience, just like, you know, the Duke freshmen haven't had the Duke basketball experience. Like they haven't had a Pac Smith center, a Pac Cameron. Mm -hmm. So um, for most people, I would say that like, that is not a major factor, but for him and and given how he sort of viewed UNC growing up, it really is. So I, I would ultimately suspect that he leaves. He'll definitely have the opportunity to do so, but beyond him, it's sort of a toss up. I mean, um, I, Caleb Love, I think, can work his way back into the first round with a strong second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but scouts were are just sort of shocked at how poorly he's played the first half of the year. Um, Armando Baycott is a guy who's who's getting a couple of nods, but I think uh, just in general, the NBA would like to see him come back and expand his range outside of five feet. He's basically a non-factor. And then Garrison Brooks. I mean, he's a, he's an interesting, versatile defender. Um, his offensive game hasn't progressed, I think, quite the way that the NBA would have liked for it to. But um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back, that is, because he has the extra year of eligibility. Um, I would be surprised if he didn't at least earn a summer league invite. Yeah. Does UNC make the tournament? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, I think, think it's a question, but. Yeah, I think they definitely do. It's just a matter of how high. Now, as for Duke, on the other hand, I think that's much that more was, of a question. That was the next question was, does Duke make the tournament? Yeah. The ESPN BPI thing, which I don't take a lot of account into, uh, has 21.9% chance of them making the tournament. I would say it's better than that. Yeah. Um, but I do I do think it's very much still up in the air. I mean, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that um, the idea that Duke is quote-unquote back after beating a, an inconsistent Georgia Tech team Mm-hmm. Uh, which was not a dominant win, but but the, a good win. Um, and then Clemson, everyone says, you know, this is a good win. And it, it is just when you look at sort of Clemson's resume, but um, the Tigers are in a tailspin right now. They've lost four of their last five by 18 or more. Um, I think their average margin of loss is 23 and a half points. I mean, they, they, they can't offense right now. So, (laughs) so, so when you consider that and you consider, you know, does, does Duke have a quad one win yet? No. Does Duke have a marquee win yet? No. And I think those, those opportunities are going to be coming up really quickly. I was actually just making my calendar for the month and you talk about some of these games that are coming up. You know, if if Duke beats UNC on Saturday, that's the best win of the season easily. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's going to take an incredibly strong February for, for Duke to get back into that conversation still. And then again, is there an ACC tournament or not? That, that is something that for a school like Duke, um, having that versus not having that could be the difference in whether they get in. Yeah, that's the weird thing. What's going on with all that? Are people just opting out because of the whole COVID testing thing for the tournament or what? Yeah, I think it's a couple of factors. Number one, you know, put yourself in the shoes of, you know, one of the bottom feeder teams. If you're Boston Mm -hmm. College or Wake Forest, not Wake Forest, but if you're Boston College or Notre Dame, you know that you're probably not going to win more than one game. You know, there's no chance you're going to the tournament. And really, what do you have to gain by going to Greensboro to play a game? Not a lot. So, you know, I think if I'm Mike Bray, at the end of the year, my guys have been sequestered. They've had a lot of mental fatigue just trying to get through the season. There's nothing tangibly for them to gain. Why go? Why not opt out? Why risk, you know, further potentially exposing yourself or your players? So I do think you're going to see some opt-outs as a result of that. So, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the ACC is discussing everything. They're talking about is there a way to do, uh, you know, little pods of teams? So you're guaranteed more than one game. Is there a way to, you know, alter the bracket so that if teams opt out, teams aren't, you know, penalized and we can still make it all the way through. And then on the flip side of if you're a bad team, you have nothing to gain. If you're a team like Virginia, exactly. and you know you're, you know you're going to make it into the tournament, what's the benefit? You know, obviously it would be nice to win the ACC tournament, but if that potentially, you know, if you get COVID and you risk not being able to play in the NCAA tournament, the the NCAA tournament is not going to pause for COVID. Mm -hmm. There's going to be forfeits you know, cases are going to happen and there are going to be teams that don't get to play as a result of it. You don't want to be one of those teams. Let's say there's forfeits. Do, are they just going to supply in like the 69th team, the 60 or the 70th team, the 71st team? I think what you're going to see, as, as, as I understand it, is if there's a team that's unable to play because of COVID. And I think this is going to be much more of a problem early on, because mm-hmm. once teams get to Indianapolis, I, yeah, I think, I think can, it'll be good. I think you can bubble relatively safely. But I think certainly in, in the first round, first two rounds, um, before you get to the Sweet 16, if there's a team that doesn't have players, they're going to have to play without them. And if they don't have enough players to play, my understanding is that there will be forfeits and that you just, you, you won't bring in replacement teams. You will just act as if that was a loss. So again, it's fair, not really, but, but the whole idea of that I think has gone out the window this season. Yeah. Cause why would Gonzaga go play in the West coast conference tournament? Exactly. There's, there's nothing to gain, only things to lose. So I think, yeah, it'll be on a team by team conference by conference basis. But um, yeah, I think the NCAA selection committee is going to have a much tougher job as a result of some of the uncertainty with that. Yeah. Let's just pray they let Duke in whatever their record is. Uh, okay. <laughs> let's transition back to Duke a little bit there. It feels like they're, you, you mentioned like Duke is back. Not really. Let's hold the brakes, but how important was this past week getting wins against Georgia tech and Clemson? Yeah, I think just from a confidence perspective, it's huge. Like you have a, a, you know, I don't, you know, everyone talks about Duke's freshmen and how young they are and, oh, but they have freshmen every year. I was looking this up for, for another story I'm working on. If memory serves, Duke is the, the 300 and like 43rd youngest team in college basketball. They're like the, the eighth least experienced team in the whole sport this year. And their average age of player is half the national average. So the, the youth factor is really not, it's not being overblown. I mean, that is a serious mm-hmm. thing. And I think when you have a group like that, 
and a group that has the expectations at a place like Duke, three straight losses is enough to push you to the breaking point. And even if you were playing better in some of those losses, not getting the end results still, still really hurts. So, so getting those wins, I think, from a conference perspective really helps. But also, you start to find things that work. And as you slowly discover those, you make yourself more dangerous. So um, I think the, the two things that stood out to me the most from this past week were, were one, Duke's ball movement was better than it has been all season by leaps and bounds. I mean, I think Jordan Goldwire actually was sort of the epitome of that. In the first half of the Clemson game, he didn't score, didn't have a point, yeah. but he had four or five assists. He was Mr. Hockey assist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he, 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 didn't, he didn't even look to shoot the basketball, but, but that was more beneficial than if he had because him getting the ball and passing to an open, even if it's Wendell Moore in the corner waiting for mm-hmm. a three, it's more beneficial for Duke's offense than him holding it, stagnating things and messing up the flow of play. So I think it was really important from, and also the second thing I'll say beyond that was um, I think that Mark Williams, not that he's someone who's capable of playing 25 minutes a game right now, but I think the dimension that he adds to Duke on both ends of the floor is something that no other player on the roster is capable of. Like he changes the way that teams both defend and attack Duke when he's on the floor. And if he's able to give coach K 10 to 20 minutes a game, depending on opponent, um, I think that that's enough of a different look that, that he can be an X factor for the rest of the season. Yeah. He played huge and he's going to have to play huge against Carolina and their bigs. I mentioned that I tweeted at you or whatever on Saturday. So what's their best five going forward? Um, you know, I think you're fine. You're, you're sort of seeing it present itself. So the front court's easy. It's, it's Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, on the wing, I, I still like Wendell Moore as a, as a starter. And I think that he has been much better of late. Um, you know, he had three threes against Clemson. That tied his career high from a couple of weeks ago against Pitt. So even though he's not as consistent or hasn't had maybe the, the breakthrough sophomore season that I think a lot of fans would have hoped for from him, He's playing better and he's making contributions even when he's not putting the ball in the hole. So that's really important. So I, I tend to think that the Roach Stewart, uh, Moore, Hurt, Johnson lineup works best. And that group does give up some, some size. They give up mm-hmm. some rebounding. Um, but I think that Jalen Johnson is a better help side defender. Like I think the combination of Matthew Hurt with Jalen Johnson as a help side defender right now is probably more effective than Matthew Hurt with Mark Williams, mm-hmm. um, just because I think that Jalen's versatility on that end of the floor covers up a lot of the different vulnerabilities that Matthew has. Um, but yeah, Goldwire has to continue to have a huge part. He can't just sort of fade into nothingness. Um, you know, Mark Williams, like I said, he has to have a part. Jamin Brakefield, he needs to have a part. Um, so, yeah, but, but I think that the fives from that Coach K has been going with of late uh, has, has been a unit that he'll continue to roll with. If Duke doesn't make the tournament, how much blame should go to Coach K? I, I, I don't think much of all, if, if any. I mean, he I, – I won't say that, that I think this is one of his better coaching jobs, um, strictly in terms of record. I don't think you can say that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the way that he has kept these guys motivated and the, the way that he hasn't quit on the season, um, you know, back in December when they canceled the non-conference slate, you know, I saw so many people taking his comments out of context about mm-hmm. what, you know, evaluating quote unquote, this idea of what are we doing here? 
Mm-hmm. He he never called for the season to end. He never called for a pause. He was just saying we need to seriously look at the situation. And I think that we should 100%. He's, he's in line. So knowing that he's at risk personally, knowing that he's had close family contract COVID, knowing that he had less time in the, in the sp- summer and fall to actually work with his guys. The assistant coaches did a lot more in the buildup to the year than, than he would normally do. Um, when you add all that up and you add how he's deflected the attention away from these young guys and back onto himself, I, I really think he's done a masterful job. So I, I think that the blame that he would hold would be a recruiting blame. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be in terms of this roster construction, in terms of um, the specific players. You know, if Duke has someone like a Cade Cunningham or Scotty Barnes or Zaire Williams, how different do things look? Obviously, not all of that is within his control, but if there's any blame for him, that would be the only realm where I would place it. I, I really think that the job he's done outside of that, in spite of the record, ha- has been really, really commendable. Okay, so we're recording this around noon Eastern on Monday, February 1st. Duke's an 11-point favorite against Miami tonight. Do you see Duke covering that? Ooh, 11? 11. At Miami. At Miami. um, I'm assuming Likes isn't going to play. And McGusty, I'm not sure if McGusty will. I I would need to know if if Isaiah Wong doesn't play or if he is in any way still – you know, I, I know that um, he went down last game with an ankle or some sort of leg ailment. Um, if he doesn't play, Duke will cover. If he does play, then Duke won't. Okay, so it's finally Duke Carolina week. This game is at Cameron on Saturday. Who wins and why? I think that UNC wins the first game, and I think it's because um, their strength matches up really, really well with Duke's weakness, which yep. is interior defense. Um at some point, Matthew Hurt is going to have to defend a Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott, a Dayron Sharp in the post. And, and I'm not sure that he can do that with any real effectiveness without fouling. Yeah, he's going to get into foul trouble. Right. So if he gets into foul trouble and, and Mark Williams, again, we mentioned he, he's coming along, but is he physical enough to hang with those guys? And I don't believe so yet. So mm-hmm. um, I think that that's going to be an issue. UNC is not a great free throw shooting team, but I think even just getting hurt off the floor for a substantial amount of time will be difficult. I think there's a chance that Jalen Johnson gets in foul trouble. So I think that there's not really a good way for Dukes to defend UNC's front court. At the same time, I'll say this. I think if a couple of Dukes perimeter players really get going in a strong way, I think there's a chance that it gets a little more interesting. Um, but I do think that Carolina has the perimeter defenders to match up well with Duke in that regard. So that's that's why I would lean for North Carolina, at least in the first matchup. Yeah, it feels a little bit like 2016 with those undersized Brandon Ingram teams against Carolina, who was so much better. And you never know what's going to happen in these Duke-Carolina games. Somehow, Carolina could be the worst team ever. And you saw last year, they were, what, like 9-16, and 16, and they freaking go and force Duke into two buzzer beaters. Exactly. So, I mean, this, this, I mean, I, and I was uh, recording another podcast earlier today and uh, we were talking, even if you go back to 94, 95 Duke's Duke's last real bad team, when the year that coach K missed Mm -hmm. with back surgery, um, you know, Jeff Cable hits a half court buzzer beater to force overtime in that game too. So like, it doesn't matter how good these teams are. (laughs) They, they all, they always make a great game. And I I think this one, the thing that's unfortunate is just that there's not going to be anyone there. Like I feel Mm -hmm. bad for, um, 
both the UNC and Duke freshmen who are not going to get the full experience this year, because even the UNC guys love going to a full Cameron. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's one of the reasons they go to Carolina is to go in and, and play bad guy there. Okay. So you've covered Duke and UNC. Give me your best story covering each of those schools. Oh, my best story. Okay. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if <laughs> best necessarily for, for UNC fans, but for Duke, I, I think it is that game last year against mm -hmm. UNC. I mean, um, there are good Duke UNC games and then there are legendary ones. There are yes. historic ones. There are ones that are going to go into the canon. Like, mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I said this last year when it first happened, but I'm very much of the mindset that we will talk in five years about the Trey Jones, Wendell Moore game, the same way that for the past 10 years, we've talked about the Austin Rivers game. Yep. Like, like you don't have to know all of the specifics, but you know, that one, that one part. Yeah, or like the Danny Green dunk on Greg Paulus. Exactly, exactly. So I think uh, Marvin Williams when he was a freshman. So I think mm -hmm. there. I, I think that was probably my best from the Duke perspective. And as far as UNC is concerned, my best story. Um, <laughs> I know what it is. Last year, uh, UNC is playing at Wake Forest, the game that they would lose in, in pretty humiliating fashion. And I wrote after the game sort of an obit of, of sorts. And this was before the pandemic onset and everything. And I remember going and talking to a couple of the UNC staffers after that game and saying to them, like, oh, you know, I, I, tournament's really not looking like it. You know, be interesting to see you guys in the NIT. And their response, you know, pretty unanimously was, oh, if, if we don't make the tournament, we're done. We're not sitting through any more of this shit. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so which I can't blame them, but um, like the self-honesty there, I really love. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many cool moments behind the scenes, just like, you know, getting to meet Mike Krzyzewski, obviously, for the first time. Um, that was very cool for me. Um, you know, I, I have some personal things like Roy Williams. Uh, I'm very fortunate that he knows my family. So uh, if I've had family issues, he, he always sort of reaches out. So it's those sort of things that are just as cool as, as anything that happens on the court. All right. Well, Brennan, thanks for your time. This was a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to have you back on right before ACC NCAA tournament time, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate uh, the opportunity and I'm, I'm always down to, to talk some triangle hoops. Of course. Anything to plug? Um, got a story coming out soon that I'm, I'm not sure how much Duke fans will like, um, <laughs> but I've been actually doing one for later this week that I think will be a lot of fun, both for UNC and for Duke fans in advance of Saturday's game. And where can people find that? At The Athletic, if you don't have a subscription, I mean, I'm biased, but I think our, our coverage is best in the world, whether it's college basketball, NFL, anything. Um, go check us out. We've got subscription promotions right now. We, we'd love to have any new followers and subscribers. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Of course. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I want to thank Coach Rolovich and Brendan for coming on. I had a ton of fun talking to them. Go check them out on Twitter, at Nick Rolovich and at Brendan R. Marks. We won't have another week like last where there are no episodes. We just got into a scheduling nightmare and couldn't get anything together. But we are back again Friday with some fantastic interviews. So see you all then. Bye.